Amen. You may be seated, and as you do, you can turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, our reading for this morning will be verses 15, sorry, 25 to 30. Matthew 11, 25 to 30. Lord willing, the next couple of weeks, we are going to consider various elements or components of discipleship to Jesus, what types of things mark a disciple of Jesus, and this week, we are going to consider rest in Jesus, gospel rest for the disciple of Christ. Lord willing, next week, we'll consider zeal, but before we get to zeal, we must first rest. So Matthew chapter 11, very familiar, famous words from our Lord Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 25, Jesus says, or Matthew records Jesus' prayer. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, again, this, this morning we are considering the theme of rest. Now, I would imagine that most of us, at one point or another in our lives, have experienced the effects of insufficient rest, of sleep deprivation. Uh, perhaps it has been at a time, or currently still is at a time, when you're working difficult work shifts, third shifts, not getting enough sleep at night, not getting enough sleep during the day. Uh, maybe you're in the midst of your studies as a student or were at one point and have had repeated late-nighters or all-nighters preparing for exams and finishing up assignments, or maybe you have had a newborn baby in the home and you know what it is to be sleep-deprived, to not get sufficient rest. And you probably also know that sleep deprivation comes with any number of other problems in our lives other symptoms that result from lack of sleep. It affects our memory and our mood. Uh, For some of you, maybe after a couple days of not getting enough sleep, you're not very pleasant to be around. You're grumpy, short-tempered, impatient. Some of you out there might be that way. (laughs) And for all of us, it makes it hard to focus. It limits our brain's capacity to retain information and focus in on one thing, It, over time, weakens our immune system. It can raise our blood pressure. It can increase the risk of heart disease, and and the list goes on, of the negative effects of sleep deprivation, not getting enough rest. An article published by the National Institutes of Health said this. It said, "Globally globally insufficient sleep is prevalent across various age groups, and is considered to be a public health epidemic that is often unrecognized, underreported, and that has rather high economic costs. 
Well, the sermon this morning is not going to be on the fact that you need to get more sleep, though that may not be a bad application for you. What's true of physical rest and its effects on our body is also very true of spiritual rest and its effects on our soul. Unless our souls are getting the kind of rest that they need, then then we, as believers or as human beings, cannot live a healthy or fruitful Christian life. Unless you are getting the rest that your soul needs, you cannot live the Christian life that God has called you to live. Just as physical sleep deprivation often, as the article said, goes unrecognized, underreported, and has rather high economic costs, so also the lack of rest for our souls often goes unrecognized and undealt with and has massive spiritual costs in our lives. In other words, our souls are being uh, run to death, and yet we just keep trying harder. They're unrecognized, undealt with, and they come with massive spiritual costs. These effects of lack of sleep, lack of rest in Christ. We'll not know the kind of joy or endurance or hope or holiness that is to characterize our lives if we're not adequately and most foundationally finding rest in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. So that's the theme for this morning. We'll, we'll be considering this topic from Jesus' famous words in Matthew 11, specifically verses 28 to 30, on rest. The title for the sermon, as you may have noted in the bulletin, is Rest for the Weary and Burdened. Rest for the Weary and Burdened. And as we work our way through these verses, I want to ask a number of questions of the passage. I want to ask some questions, try to answer them based on Jesus' words here. First question, who's invited? Who is Jesus inviting when he extends these words, come to me? Well, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Weary and heavy laden. Both of those words have to do with physical weariness, physical exhaustion. The idea of being weary is that someone has labored or toiled to the point that their body is ready to give out. They're full of weakness because of hard, ongoing labor and toil. The word heavy laden, as it's translated in the the NASB, has to do with the idea of being weighed down by a heavy burden. So if you put those two words together, you are wearied, you are worn out because you have been laboring under a heavy burden. I remember traveling through Peru uh, a few years ago at the time when the immigration out of Venezuela was at its peak, and by the end of, uh, at least by the end of, I think it was 2021, over two million individuals had moved from Venezuela into Peru, not even to mention all the other countries that they had traveled to because of the political and economic turmoil in Venezuela. And I remember driving through northern Peru and seeing dozens and dozens of Venezuelan refugees walking on foot Men, women, children, families together, walking on foot with heavy sacks containing everything they owned in them, having walked the 2,000-mile journey from Venezuela to northern Peru. At this point, it's 90 degrees, maybe 100 degrees. And as I looked on the face 
of these families, young children, mothers, fathers, as they journeyed along these highways in northern Peru, you saw weariness, exhaustion, burdenedness, someone who is heavy laden, having toiled for a very long time, weeks on end, under a heavy burden in the extreme heat. And that's the picture Jesus has in mind here when he invites the weary and the heavy laden to come to him. Those who are worn down, those who are tired because they have been carrying a heavy load. But of course, Jesus here is not primarily speaking of physical weariness. He's not indifferent or cold to your physical weariness, but that's not what he has in mind here. Jesus is talking about weariness of soul. We read that in verse 29. The, the promise that he gives, as we'll see, is rest for your soul. He has concern, primarily in, the, in this context, what he is concerned for is your weariness of soul and the rest that you need for your soul. And so what is it that makes a soul weary and burdened? I might ask, what makes your soul this morning weary and burdened? Well, certainly there is the weariness and the burden that comes from life in a fallen and sin-cursed world. Day-to-day effects of living life that in a world that is full of loss and sadness and disappointment and frustrations and pain and sorrow and broken relationships. In that kind of world, our soul gets weary and it gets burdened. But we may also be wearied because of the seeming meaningless of it all. Life just seems meaningless to us. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we read that everything just seems so vain. It's vanity. All good things come to an end. Time steadily slips away, and then one day we all die, and we go to the grave, and we end up right where we started life, with nothing in our hands, nothing to show for it. So what's the point? Why, why should I even keep living? There's no point. There's no meaning. And those sorts of questions make a soul weary and burdened. Or maybe there's primarily what Jesus has in mind here. And that's the burden of sin and the burden of guilt. Anyone who knows something of the holiness of God our maker, anyone who by God's grace has come to understand something of what it is to be made by a God who is holy and who is righteous and who is pure and who is just, and to anyone who also has a sense of their own corruption of heart, your own sinfulness, the ways that you have failed to serve and love and live for this God, anyone who understands those two things, the goodness and holiness of God and your own sin, will also know what it is to have a sense of the inescapable guilt and weight of your own sin and separation from your maker. There is no greater burden than that. I remember years ago climbing uh, with my youth group in the church that I grew up in in Harrisonburg, Virginia, I think it was, uh, I think the name of the rocks is Seneca Falls. Now that I said it, I'm not entirely positive. I think it was Seneca Falls, Seneca Rock, something like that. And it was basically this rock face that you would climb about 500 feet straight up, uh, obviously with a harness and ropes. And I remember getting to the top of that, and everyone was taking pictures by leaning backwards over the precipice of 500 feet with just your harness holding you and the rope connected to it leaning back with arms out, hanging over a 500-foot drop. 
And on my face, I was saying, this is awesome. And in my heart, I was saying, there is nothing I want more than to be back on top of the cliff, like on solid ground. Well, if we've ever understood something of what it is to be at odds and at enmity with our God, it's sort of like hanging over that cliff and then wanting nothing more than to know that we're not going to fall into the grips of a God who is wrathful towards sinners and wanting nothing more than to be able to stand again on solid ground where our feet are safe. That's the weariness Jesus has in mind here. This burden, I want to be safe. But then added to that, there's this burden that Jesus' listeners would have had that resulted from the added rules and requirements of the Jewish leaders. In Matthew 23, in verse 4, Jesus, speaking of the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, he says this about them. He says, they tie up heavy burdens. These Jewish leaders, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. They don't want to touch the burdens, but they're laying burden after burden upon the shoulders of already burdened people. And so as Jesus looks out at this crowd, he sees people. He's speaking to a crowd here. As he does, he sees people who are burdened by the weariness of life. He sees people who are burdened by the meaningless of, meaninglessness of life. He sees people who are burdened by their own sin and guilt, and he sees people who are burdened because they're living life under the weight of expectations that God never even put on them to begin with. He's speaking to a burdened people, a weary people, people like us. And it's to those weary people that Jesus then says, come to me, come to me. And what is he promising when he says, come to me? Well, he's promising rest, as we've seen. And most specifically, he's promising rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. And what does that mean? What does it look like to have rest for your soul? Well, if you look back at verse 27, if you still have your Bibles open to Matthew 11, verse 27, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and then he says, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then the very next words out of Jesus' mouth, come to me and you will find rest. Now what's the connection between verse 27 and verse 28? What's Jesus talking about in verse 27? No one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son except the Father. And the, and the only people who know God, the Father and the Son, the only people who will ever know their heavenly Father are the people that Jesus reveals them to. And so Jesus says, so come to me. If you want to know your Father, if you want to know God, if you want to be restored again to your Creator, come to me. And I'll give you rest. It's the same thing that he says in John 17, verse 3. Jesus says, this is eternal life. We could substitute there, this is real rest. This is eternal life. This is real rest that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's rest, coming back to our Father and knowing him again. Years ago, I used to love traveling to other countries. I mentioned I was in Peru. I was there a number of times, other countries throughout Latin America. 
and I loved it. I enjoyed traveling many years ago. As part of my job, I, I got to see all sorts of different places, meet tons of wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ. It was wonderful. But then I got married, and, and I had children, and I had a family of my own right here in Radford, Virginia. Before that, I very rarely experienced homesickness. Not that I didn't miss some of you guys. You're all right. But I didn't really miss you that much. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't like this aching in my heart to get back home. I traveled for 40 days at a time one time and, and thought of you occasionally, but, but rarely. And, but, but now it's totally different. Now that I have a wife, I have three children, when I pack my bags, when I walk out the front door, when I know that I'm headed thousands of miles away and that it will be several days, if not a couple weeks, before I'm back home again, my heart is immediately restless. And from the moment I say goodbye to my wife and to my kids, there is a sense inside of me, something inside of me that's saying, this isn't right. You're supposed to be with them. Where are you going? That's your wife. Those are your children. That's your home. That's where you're supposed to be. And, and that sense doesn't go away for the days that I travel. There is this restless sense inside of me that says, I'm supposed to be with them. I'm not supposed to be here. And it's not until the moment that I walk through my front door and see my wife and see my kids and embrace them again that my heart says, okay, you can rest. This is where you're supposed to be. This is home. Well, what Jesus is saying here is that the same is true of us spiritually. The world has been restless, and it still is today, restless since the moment that sin entered into the world and man was separated from his maker. We live in a restless world, and we have searched far and wide for something that will give our souls rest, haven't we? And we've come up empty time and time again. You remember in, I think it's Genesis 8, the very end, well, gen, the very end of Genesis 5, remember what Noah, what his name means? Anyone know what the name Noah means? Rest. I saw someone mouth it. Rest. Noah's name means rest because Lamech said, well, maybe this is the one who will give us rest. Did Noah give rest? No, Noah didn't give rest. We're still longing for that in Noah's day. But there's an interesting scene in Genesis 8 where the rain has finally stopped. The waters haven't yet subsided all the way, but you can start to see some little, the highest peaks of certain mountains. And Noah first sends out a raven, and it doesn't come back, but then he sends out a dove. You remember what happened to the dove? He, he opened the window, Noah opened the window, and he let the dove go out. And the dove flew around the water, but it says that she found no place to rest the sole of her foot. The dove flew around and around the waters, but it found no place to rest the sole of her foot until she came back to Noah, whose name is Rest. And he reached his hand out, and he grabbed the dove, and he brought her back into the ark, the place of refuge. What Jesus is saying is, I'm Noah, and you are that dove, and you have flown around the world looking for a place to lay the sole of your foot, and you've not found it. And so come back to the ark where Jesus extends his hand. And he says, rest upon me and I will bring you into the ark of refuge. Jesus is saying, I'm the one that will give you rest. I will bring you back to your father. I will restore you. And I will do that, he says. Ultimately, he can say that. 
because he has entered into our weariness and he has taken upon himself our burdens. He entered into our weariness when he took on human flesh and he became obedient to his father and he took upon our burdens as he walked through a fallen and sinful world, tempted in every way. Any temptation you have experienced, Christ experienced far more intensely than you ever have. He knew what it was to be burdened in this world, yet without sin. And he bore your burden to the cross where your sin was laid upon him as he was crushed by his heavenly father in your place, that you might be restored to your heavenly father in his place. As the words of the hymn we sometimes sing put it, he took my sins and my sorrows, he made them his very own. He bore the burden of Calvary and suffered and died alone. He has taken our sorrows. He has taken our burdens. He has suffered and he has died alone in our place. And now that he has been risen, now that he has been raised from the dead, and now that he forever lives as our Savior, he can give you the rest into which he has entered. And he can cause your soul to finally know, I'm home. I made it. I've landed again on a safe place for the sole of my foot. We can rest as believers. We can rest in the assurance of forgiveness. And we can rest in the assurance of a father who loves us and in a savior who cares for us and in grace that meets you exactly where you are in your time of need and in the hope of a perfectly joyful eternity, and in life forever with our King. You can rest if you are in Jesus. The question still remains, how do I get it? So we've seen who's invited, the weary and burdened, what's promised, rest for your souls, but how do we get it? And Jesus says, verse 28, very simply, the first three words, come to me. Come to me. That's what's required, that you come. To come simply means that we are here in this place. When we come, it means we leave this place and we move somewhere else so that we can come to the destination. Jesus is saying, come to me, which means leave wherever you are. Leave your unbelief. Come to me in faith. Leave your hope that the things of this world will satisfy your soul. Come, fix your hope in me. Leave your reliance on your ability to gain your Father's love. Come to me. I've already gained it for you. Leave your obsession with your sin and yourself. Come to me. You can serve me. You can have me. Jesus says, come to me. Come with all of your weariness. Come with all of your burdens. Come believing. Come find my rest. What about that second statement he makes? Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What does Jesus mean when he says that you must take his yoke upon you in order to enter into the rest of soul that he promises? 
As you probably know, a yoke is a wooden frame that goes over the shoulders most of the time of an animal. Actually, sometimes it was used by people. But a yoke that goes over the shoulders and then is attached to a heavy burden. And an ox or whatever animal it was would haul that heavy burden with the the yoke on its shoulders that's attached to the burden. Sometimes it was people carrying a yoke on their shoulders with something like buckets of water or buckets of grain or rocks attached to each side of the yoke, and it would make it far easier to carry, to have that yoke on their shoulders than to try to carry buckets with their hands. But either way, yoke represents work, labor. You put a yoke on your back in order to carry something, in order to haul something. Usually in the scriptures, when the term yoke is used, it's actually used to represent submission or bondage, but specifically submission or bondage to sin and to the law and to our inability to keep the law. Places like Acts 15 or or Galatians 5 in verse 1, in those places we're told our, our attempts to keep the law of God as a means of justifying ourselves in the sight of God, it's like this heavy yoke on our shoulders that is bondage and slavery. So what is Jesus saying here? When he says, come and take my yoke upon you, What does he mean? Well, he's saying, come and exchange your yoke. Take off that old one that's weighing you down and burdening you. Put on a new one. Put on a new yoke. What does that mean? Well, he says, and learn from me. So yoke, it does mean submission. He's saying, come to me. Put, Put my yoke upon you. You've been weighed down. You've been burdened by this yoke that is driving you into the ground in weariness. Come to me, I'll put a new yoke on your shoulders. And that means you submit to me. That means you come to learn from me. That means you come to be like me, to follow me, to obey my instruction, my teaching. Come and put my yoke upon you. So then is is Jesus saying that we must put his yoke upon us in order to earn rest? He's saying, come and put my yoke upon you, and you will have rest. He's saying, come and put my yoke, and when you work enough, then you'll finally get rest for your souls. Well, of course not. The promise of rest for your soul is given the moment you come. In faith, believing freely, it's grace apart from works. It is faith apart from anything you can do in your own strength. It is Christ and his work, and you come trusting and believing. And when you do that, you're given rest. But Jesus is clarifying what it means to come to him in faith, what it means to come to him believing. When you come to Jesus, you are coming both to your Savior and your Lord. You're coming both to your Redeemer and your King. And so as you come to him in faith, believing that it is he alone who can save you, you're also coming to him submitting and saying, I want to obey this King. I want to bring my life under the rule and the authority of this Savior. And so when we come to him, believing in order to freely receive the gift of his rest, we also do so bowed down in submission to the king, to follow him, to learn from him, to be like him. But how is that restful? How is that restful? Is that just more work being added to your daily agenda? Come to me and I'll give you a new yoke. Follow me, learn from me, do what I command. How is that restful? Well, it's restful for two reasons. 
First of all, it's restful because of the character of the one who gives the yoke. You saw in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for, meaning incentive, here's why, this is why you should come to me, take my yoke upon you. Why? Because I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. Heart refers to the very core of who Jesus is. It is the center of all of his faculties, his feeling, his thinking, his speaking, his doing. All of it flows out of his heart. And he says, in my heart, at the core of who I am, I am humble and I am gentle. This is the only place where Jesus refers to the the character of his own heart, Matthew 11. And when he does, he says, I am humble, I am gentle. For Jesus to be gentle means that he isn't harsh. He isn't cruel. He isn't cold or uncaring. It means he isn't volatile. He doesn't just flip out when you do something wrong. He isn't quick to scold. He's gentle. For Jesus to be humble, it means, this word humble, it it carries the idea of being willing to stoop down low. In Romans 12, it has to do with associating with the lowly, bringing yourself down to the level of the lowest of the low. Jesus says, that's me. I stoop down to make myself available to and present with and approachable by those who are lowest in their sin and in their misery. I am humble. He doesn't just put the yoke on us, in other words, but he comes down with us to enable us to carry it by his grace and by his strength. Dane Ortland puts it well when he says, For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness... His supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. So why is the yoke that Jesus gives a restful one? Because of the character of the one who gives it. He is gentle and he is humble. But then also because of the content of the yoke. He says in verse 30, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The content of the yoke, it's easy. The burden is light. You remember in the book of Exodus, in the first couple of chapters, the Israelites are in slavery to the nation of Egypt under Pharaoh, and more specifically, a new Pharaoh, a new king, who deals very harshly with the Israelites. And one of the ways that this new king deals harshly with the Israelites is by requiring that they meet a certain quota of bricks, but refusing to give them the resources they need to meet that quota. They have to produce, and they have to produce, and they have to produce day after day, and they were miserable under the affliction of their taskmasters, but they weren't given what they needed to produce. And at the end of the day, when they didn't produce, they were scolded for not producing. It was an unreasonable demand by a ruthless dictator. What Jesus is saying is that the yoke he places on you is nothing like that yoke. He is not a cruel dictator placing upon you unreasonable and harsh demands without giving you the resources you need to meet the demand. Instead, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. When he commands you to do something, he gives you the grace to do it. When he commands you to do something, it is for your good, whether you feel it or believe it in the moment or not. When he commands you to do something, it is ultimately for the rest of your soul and not for your harm. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. 
when we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a gentle and humble Savior, then we find that obedience to him is pleasant. It's pleasant. Oh, if we could believe that in the moment of temptation, but it is always pleasant to do what Jesus commands you to do. And I said pleasant not in the sense that it's pleasant because it has no cost. There's a cost, of course. Following Jesus is not always easy. It comes with hardships. It comes with trials. We will be treated differently, perhaps, because of our commitment to obey Christ. We will have to give up certain opportunities and comforts in life, perhaps, because we have determined to submit ourselves to this king. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's painful, but it is always pleasant for your soul. And your Savior will never leave you alone in that struggle. He will never leave you alone to carry the yoke of his burden without also walking with you as you do it and meeting you there with his grace and with his kindness. So then, life lived in submission to Jesus as our gentle and humble Savior is a restful life. So those are verses 28 to 30. Those are the words that Jesus gives as he calls us to come and to find rest. And I recognize that many of us, most of us in this room today, have heeded that call. By God's grace, he has awakened us to see our need for this Savior, for this rest, and we have come and we have embraced the rest of soul that comes through Jesus Christ. And praise God for that. Praise God for his mercy. But I wonder, among us who have come to Jesus for his rest, those of us who have put our faith in him, to have received the rest that he promises, would you say that your life generally reflects that kind of rest that Jesus describes here? Is your heart a restful heart? Again, I'm not asking, do you experience no sorrow in this world? Of course not. Uh, Of course you do. This world is a world of sorrow. So I'm not asking, is your heart ever troubled by the sorrow in this life? It's not what I'm asking. It will be until we get to glory. There's no longer sorrow, no longer sadness. I'm not asking, do you sometimes have a hard time understanding why God allows different things into your life? And like the psalmist, asking God sometimes, God, why is this the case? I don't understand. As long as we're in this life, we will have questions like that. God, why? Not doubting, but uncertain. Not sure, why would God allow this? Not having answers in the moment. So I'm not asking if you have trouble of heart in those ways. Of course you do. You will until you are with your Savior. But I'm asking, would you characterize your heart as one that is currently resting peacefully and confidently in the hope of your Savior? Would you say that your restless searching for security your restless searching for meaning in life has now fully ceased because you've come and embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. From day to day, is your heart a quiet, resting heart? If I were to guess, I would say that at least a few of us here this morning would say that we still find it hard sometimes to rest in Jesus. And we still have to admit that sometimes our heart is not all that restless and that we struggle to have a quiet trust in our Savior. And why is that? 
Why do we still struggle with restlessness, even as believers? Edward Manning, uh, an older pastor from a century or two ago, he says, it's not only among the unregenerate or those who are not Christians, but among those who also have been born again by his gracious working that Jesus finds toiling and burdened hearts. As he stands in the midst of his church and beholds our daily life and all the hurrying to and fro of weary and restless spirits, he sees and pities our blind infirmities. When Jesus looks on our church, on our hearts, does he ever see lives that are hurrying to and fro with weary and burdened spirits? Why is that? Well, it's certainly not the only reason, but I want to suggest that one of the reasons we often feel that way, that restlessness in our soul, is because we're still trying to wear a yoke and we're still trying to put on a burden that Jesus has never given us. And that yoke might be a number of different things for some of you. It may be the yoke of self-righteousness. So yes, you have embraced Christ in faith decisively. You know objectively, you know truthfully that there's nothing you can do to merit his love and his salvation. But you still try. Day after day, you try to earn something from your God. You try to work hard enough to prove your worth in his kingdom. You convince yourselves that there's something more you have to do. You have to be better before you can rest. That's a yoke Jesus never gave you. That's a yoke of self-righteousness. Similar to that, there's the yoke of self-reliance. The yoke of self-reliance. We convince ourselves that if things are going to turn out okay, it's up to me. If, if my future is going to be what I think it should be, if my children are going to turn out okay, if the people that I love aren't going to self-destruct, if my ministry is going to be successful, then I have to make it happen. I have to work hard enough. Instead, we should take the yoke of Jesus on ourselves and remember the words of Psalm 127 that we read last week in our prayer meeting. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. That's a yoke Jesus has never given you, the yoke of self-reliance. Then there's the yoke of comparison that you put on yourself. So many voices telling you what you must be, what you must do, the kind of house you should have, what you should look like, what kind of food you should eat, what kind of accomplishments you should have checked off your list by now. We look around and we compare ourselves to what everyone else is doing, even others in the church, the kind of fruit their ministry is producing, the kind of family they have, the amount of money they have, the amount of friends they have, the gifts they have, the abilities they have, the way people just always seem to flock to them because they're such good people and they're so pleasant to be around. And I'm so not like that. And, and, we, and we feel in our minds like we're not doing enough. We're not good enough. We're not accomplishing enough. There's something more we need to do before we can rest. And so we are set on an endless and restless pursuit of trying to be and do what others expect of us and what we see when we compare ourselves to others rather than simply resting in Jesus and being who he has made you and doing what he has commanded you to do and being faithful to the yoke that he's placed upon you, being content to rest in him. 
then lastly, there's the yoke of selfish ambition. The yoke of selfish ambition. We selfishly strive after things that God has not given us. It's not bad to desire good things, but we selfishly strive after them as that thing which will finally satisfy our souls. We feel like our life cannot be happy. Our life cannot be settled. Our life can't be full. It can't be what it's supposed to be. We're missing out until I get that relationship, until I get that recognition from other people, until I get that job, until I change my circumstances, until I get that one thing that I have set my heart upon, it's not until I have that that my soul can rest. A.W. Pink explains, he says, it is indeed pitiful to behold those who are made for eternity wasting their time and energies wandering from object to object, searching for that which cannot satisfy them only to be vexed by repeated and incessant disappointments. Isn't that the case? As you strive under the yoke of selfish ambition that you are disappointed and vexed time and time again. Christ tells us to lay aside the yokes that are not from him, to put off the burdens that he has not placed upon you. And he tells you to come to him, trust in him, put the yoke that he has given you upon yourself, Submit your life to him. Stop worrying about all the other voices, all the other things that are telling you what you must do, what you should do, who you should be. Listen to the voice of your Savior. Do what he has told you to do and be who he has commanded you to be. Life would be much simpler, so much more restful if we were concerned primarily and exclusively with what Jesus Christ wants for us. We are to rest in him. Now, in conclusion, just one final thing that I I should point out. Throughout the sermon, I've referenced these words from Jesus as an invitation. Jesus is inviting us. And he certainly is inviting you this morning, whoever you are. He is inviting you. He is welcoming you with a warm and compassionate and heartfelt heart, heartfelt, sincere offer. Come, come. It's a genuine invitation. But it's far more than that. It's not just an invitation. If I say to you this afternoon, hey, come on over to my house. We'd love to have you over for lunch. That's an invitation. That's, that, that leaves you with the option. You can go talk with your roommates or with your spouse and say, hey, the Nash has invited us over for lunch. What do you think? Should we, should we take them up on it? We got a lot going on. Is it okay? It's an invitation. I give it to you. I say, think about this. Give me a response. You take time. Consider it, you come back with your response. That is not what Jesus is doing here. He is not extending merely an invitation, saying, hey, you're weary, you're burdened, I see your heart, I know the things you struggle with, I know the weight you're under. Hey, why don't you think about this? I can give you rest. Why don't you go, take some time, consider me, think about me, and come back when you've made a decision. Now, this is the one who sits upon the throne of all things, to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, who has been appointed as the judge of all men, we are those hanging over the precipice 500 feet up, knowing that at any moment we could fall into the hands of an angry God who is wrathful toward us because of our sin. And Jesus is saying, if you want rest, you better come. And you better come now. Hear my voice and submit and come. 
because you may not ever be able to find the rest you need if you don't come now. Jesus is commanding you, not just inviting you, commanding you, come, take off your burdens and come and find rest in me. To quote from the hymn that we'll sing in just a moment. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, how we want these words from Jesus to sink deep into our hearts this morning. For those of us who know you as your children and who belong to you through Christ, even still our hearts long for that deep experience of rest that Jesus promises here. Souls that are able to know we've finally come back home and we have come to rest in the only place where safety and security is found. God, would you grant the souls of your people today rest in Jesus Christ? We pray that you would help us to see and to understand what burdens we might be putting on ourselves that you've not put on us. We pray that you would help us to be quick to turn away from the burden of sin and self-reliance, comparison, and anything else. And Father, help us to be eager to day after day put on that light, easy yoke of Christ. We need your help to do that. We need your help to bear the yoke that Christ has given us. We know that it's pleasant, but it's not always easy to live as your people in this world. And Father, would you give us grace to do it? Strengthen us that we might find your yoke to be easy and your burden to be light because you sustain us by your grace. We pray for those here this morning who are without this rest, who have never known it, who have never come to Jesus. Father, would you cause them to feel the burden of their sin and the burden of their guilt? Would they know that they are hanging over the precipice of hell this morning with no escape unless they come to Jesus who alone gives rest. Would you grant faith and repentance? And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.